Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the Words of Women and Wisdom radio show, streaming live on BBS Radio from California and syndicating to over 100 other stations globally. I'm delighted today to be joined by my guest, who I'll formally introduce in just a moment. Hello, Melissa Ross. How are you? Hello. Thank you. I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. It was lovely to connect with you in the masterminding group with Clarissa Burt. I'm doing some more stuff with Clarissa. And uh, that's all about the In the Limelight TV. And we built an amazing connection pretty quickly, probably because we both are passionate about supporting women. We're passionate about helping expand minds, personal growth, and we're both doing it in different ways, even though we both do coaching, which is lovely. This show, if you haven't tuned in before is all about showcasing amazing women, women who've typically risen from some sort of tragedy to triumph and are now out in the world doing amazing things that I want to showcase. And in Melissa's case, she has a really intriguing story. And I encourage you to stay right to the very end because there is going to be a free gift. We always like to honor our guests and make sure that there's a free gift somewhere along the line that you can keep in touch because I bet you're gonna be intrigued and I bet you're gonna to wanna to keep in touch. And then I'll have something to offer you as well. So uh, welcome, Melissa. I'm so glad that you could join me. Um, let's do your intro. So Melissa is a mindset mentor and clarity coach. I love that. So we're gonna be talking today about how to embrace the mess. <laughs> and forget the stress. I love this title. So with 20 plus years of experience in the field of yoga and mindfulness, Melissa is now a leading authority on this topic of healing and growth. She's the leader and founder of a very innovative program, Breathe With Me Yoga. Melissa has influenced thousands of kids. So this is not just about adults. This is about kids and parents learning together to connect with their mind, body, and spirit through breathing, relaxation, and mindfulness. And as a speaker and coach, as well as an author and the founder of her firm, Rise to Wellness Inc., she uses her own experience. And we're gonna talk a lot about the postpartum depression and this anxiety to work with a, uh, with a wide range of individuals now to be doing inspiring and empowering work to help others navigate and overcome the stress and anxiety and depression that she herself experienced. She's also a founding partner of the League of Giants and on a big mission, like me, a big mission to change a million lives. And you're well on the way to doing that. So yoga is a passion. You've helped, um, helped countless families to find strategies that work for them through your hosting of Storytime Yoga. So this is Kids are five to nine, right? Five, mm -hmm. to nine. five to nine. And then two to four-year-olds come in with parents. Yes. Yes. And that's um, Storytime Yoga is hosted on Roku, Apple, Amazon, uh, in the Limelight channel that we just mentioned. And you're bringing Matt Chat. I want to hear about Matt Chat as we talk um, to, the, to the forefront. And then also Wake Up With Giants TV show, which is now on uh, Cat Country Radio author of an international best-selling book, award-winning speaker, um, many, many years of, um, of yoga and proud mum of two. So mm -hmm. glad, to, glad that you could join me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's dive in, Melissa. Let's talk about how did this big mission to help others get started? Like what happened to you that led you to this awakening and this insight that this topic of yoga and yoga for kids in particular was so badly needed. Yeah, well, I'll set the stage right away and talk about this, this um, place that I was in as a mom. Mm -hmm. um, one night after my daughter was born, my daughter just turned 10. So um, one night after she was born, um, I walked out of my house my kids were both my kids were in bed my newborn baby was in bed my two and a half year old son was in bed and I walked out I got in my car I drove away and I had no idea where I was going I didn't know whether I was going to come back I just drove away and left my kids and my husband at the time behind 
And I found myself at a friend's house. I knocked on her door and um, everything was dark. And I walked in and I, I was very aware of her own kids. Her kids were the same age as mine. I was very aware of her own kids sleeping upstairs. I had just walked away from mine and I slumped into a chair in her living room. And I just started to cry. And I looked at her and I said, I'm, I just, I'm buried, I'm lost. And I don't know what to do. Mm. And it was the, probably the lowest moment of my life. I had literally, instead of running to my kids and having them in my arms and playing with them, I had walked away and it was just too much for me. It was too much for me to handle. And what was going on is I had been diagnosed with postpartum depression and severe anxiety, anxiety to the point where I could not raise my newborn baby, my daughter. Um, I would have a panic attack every time she cried, if she made a noise, anything. And it came on um, probably about three or four weeks after she was born. I was struggling with a lot of things for those first three or four weeks. And then I just started crying a lot. I was very down. And, um, and then the diagnosis came and the anxiety got to a point where I literally just couldn't be in a room with her. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle anything with my son. I couldn't handle her. I couldn't feed her a bottle. I couldn't change her diaper. And I spent about the first six months of her life in bed. Mm. My mother was there every day for the first year of her life. Um, (laughs) Yeah. For the first year, my mom was there every day. God bless her. Um, uh, my husband took time off where he could from work and we were largely in a situation for about four months where my husband laid in bed beside me because the anxiety was so high. Couldn't even be left alone. Mm. He laid in bed beside me while my mom raised the children downstairs. And, um, you know, my mom was the one that started to find help. And, and find support groups and, and find doctors and try and help to um, figure out what was going on. Um, but at the same time, I had some other health issues going on. And um, it was thought at the time with the hormonal imbalances and everything that was happening, um, that I, w- I was having gastrointestinal issues at the same time. Right. And I couldn't keep any food and I couldn't eat anything at the same time. Everything I ate went right through me. Um, I dropped all of the pregnancy weight and all of my pre-pregnancy weight. I, I, I was about 135, 136 pounds before my pregnancy. And I dropped to 105 pounds within, within six months of my daughter being born. Wow. Um, so we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know if I had cancer. We didn't know what was happening at the same time of this postpartum and, and all of this severe anxiety. And so that was about a year long journey of finding out what was going on trying to recover from the postpartum, um, trying to just find food that I could eat. I, I lived my life for about those two years in adult diapers. Um, I didn't go very far from home because they, what they determined was, uh, was that I had a generalized anxiety, but I also had health anxiety because of all that health that was health issues that were going on. And that I was in diapers. I had such anxiety, even just going to the mall or going somewhere and being away from a bathroom Mm. or going somewhere where I had to eat or drink something um, Mm. because I didn't know what I could eat or drink and whether it was going to stay inside me and whether I was going to make it to a bathroom. So along with all of that, um, of the postpartum and and trying to learn how to be with my daughter, I was dealing with all of those health issues. Well, and I I think that the, the whole postpartum is misunderstood And um, also underappreciated how impactful that can be when it's even on a mild basis. And obviously Uh you had a severe, severe experience. I remember with with my son, Alex, um, I mean, he's special needs, although we didn't know that when he was first born, that wasn't evident. But just the fact that, you know, I was six weeks in uh, six days in the hospital with him, with Billy Rubin. Um, uh, I got kicked, I got kicked out and I wasn't being fed because he was the patient and I was the, 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 um, the mom, but I wasn't mm-hmm. sort of welcomed into that unit, um, as an active participant. And yet I'm standing there saying, no, I'm not going home without my baby I'm just yeah. right here. Um, but the fact that he wouldn't even latch on for breastfeeding, I mean, that was something I really wanted to experience and for him to experience and, you know, his crying and he was colicky for the first three months. It was 
it was horrific and people don't understand it. It's like a siren going off in your head when your kid is crying, your kid, and mm-hmm. you can't and you can't seem to satisfy them. So um, thank you for bringing that piece of your story and, and expanding on what it what it's like when it is even at a more severe stage and then compounded mm-hmm. by the other elements. Um, you know, a lot of stress we know causes, you know, IBS and other uh, health issues. So uh, keep going with the story. What's next? Yeah. And you know what I want to say about that postpartum impression as well, when you said that is that it's different for everyone. So in, in, in what I was hearing from you is, is that in your experience, you were having this anxiety about not being able to breastfeed. And and that brought something up for me in my experience with that postpartum, my first child wasn't able to breastfeed and wasn't, uh, I wasn't getting enough milk in and, and nothing happened. But my second child, my daughter, when I was suffering with this, she was able to breastfeed. And I had such anxiety about being attached to her all of a sudden and never being able to leave her. And so the anxiety built because I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to go anywhere because now she is breastfeeding and I'm attached to her and she's counting on me. And it was this big pressure for me. She's counting on me. And then I, I had this postpartum, I had the anxiety and I made the decision to take medication for it. And that decision meant that I couldn't breastfeed anymore. And I was almost relieved that I couldn't breastfeed. I was relieved that someone else was going to be able to carry some of that weight for me. And, and it was all pressure that I was putting on myself. Right. Mm. And, it, and, and that's where the word perfectionism comes in. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about perfectionism and, and being able to let go of that. Um, but that's where that came in. I thought I had to be perfect and be it all. And it was, it, it caused so much anxiety for me. And when I took that medication and I, and I wasn't able to breastfeed anymore, it meant that someone else could take over that responsibility. But then I had guilt that I wasn't breastfeeding and that, and that, and I, do you know what I mean? And, and that, and that I felt happy about not being able to breastfeed. And so that guilt about feeling relieved that I wasn't able to breastfeed was there too. So, I mean, I flip-flopped and it went, and it went back and forth like that for a long time around just feeding her. Um, so it took about, uh, she was about six months old and I had gone to a women's health, health concerns clinic that's in the area here. And they had sent me to a, um, an anxiety clinic that was using cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that looked like was exposure therapy. That's the only, that's the best way to describe it. It was exposure therapy. Just like if you were afraid of a spider. And, and they put you in a room with a spider and then you got closer to the spider and then you actually were right beside it. Right. Um, They did the same thing with my daughter. And, and I, I tell this story all the time because um, it shows how deep, how deep, deep the anxiety was and the thoughts were and, and the power of the mind. Um, My, my first homework assignment was to um, go with my mom and my son and my daughter. My mom would drive us to the library the local library. And my mom would take my son into a play group next door in in the same building, but next door. And I would go in and um, sit on the floor in this library group for half an hour. That was it half an hour and play and sing with my daughter and read books in this story time class with other parents and other babies. And I recall sitting in my counselor's office crying about how terrified I was to go sit for half an hour. Well, what if I have to change her diaper? What if she's hungry? What if she starts crying? What if I have to run to the bathroom and I can't leave her there and my mom's in the other room and what am I gonna do with her if I have to run to the bathroom and what if I have an accident and there's all these people there and it's a half an hour and half an hour is a long time. And uh, I was terrified and I cried the first two weeks. I cried through the entire half an hour. I I went in and I told the librarian what was going on. I cried through the entire half an hour. I made it through. I did it. Um, but I continued like that for the next six months from, from the age of six months to the, to, until she was one year old, I continued like that until, and it was baby steps increments. One day I would get her up. I didn't have to change her diaper. I would get her up. My mom would come 15 minutes later. Then the next week I, I got her up and I changed her diaper. So my mom would come half an hour later. And then the week after that, 
I tried to feed her a bottle a couple days after I changed her diaper. And it was small little increments like that, that I became an actual part of her life and became her mom again. Mm. And, and she, and she, on her first birthday, we didn't just celebrate her birthday. We celebrated me getting past for the most part, the postpartum and being able to be her parent, be an actual involved parent with her again. Mm. It's, it's so interesting how different hormones trigger as we go through childbirth. Um, you know, my, my experience was, was definitely um, a little different. I mean, Alex has said it was colicky for the first three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't kick in until he was two weeks old. So I remember, you know, the first week uh, after getting out of hospital, you know, I went down to the unemployment office. I filed for my benefits. I had him in a little baby seat. And, you know, he was quiet as a lamb. And I was thinking, I got this. I don't know what all these other women are making such a big fuss about. This is cool. Um, Other than understanding, oh, yeah, now I know why people don't get, new mums don't get into the shower until about five o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there's so much going on that we have to adapt to. Um, But in my case, I remember the first time away from him having almost separation anxiety because I went to to do my graduation for my um at that time it was a university of calgary management certificate and I couldn't even uh, Yvonne Yvonne I'm like always last in the alphabet in anything to be announced so I couldn't wait to the very end because I was so anxious about being separated from him I skipped my graduation ceremony I didn't even walk the stage because I wanted to be home with him and at the same time, I had the opposite situation with milk. I had way too much and was feeling like I was blowing up like a balloon. So mm-hmm. interesting. So postpartum, powerful, powerful. When you combine it with health issues, when did the health issues start to turn around? I was so I was about a year from the postpartum, but I was two and a half years with the health issues um, before I actually went back to work. And that was more cognitive behavioral therapy. Um learning how to be a part of society again, waking up to an alarm, packing a lunch, um, being comfortable with, um, with eating out and, and packing what I knew I could eat at the time and, and what was going to sit well with me and, and eating around other people. I mean, I hadn't even eaten at a restaurant or eaten around other people outside of my family in those two and a half years. None of that. I, I hadn't gone for coffee with a friend. I hadn't gone for lunch with nothing for two and a half years. So I, I had, there was a lot of anxiety around that too. And so, yeah, in that two and a half year time, I, I, I really um, had to learn how to be part of society again and go to work. Like everybody goes to work and, and do all of those things that every, I think we take those things for granted, to be honest, oh, definitely. Um, you know, being able to drive your car to the, to, to your workplace and put your lunch in the fridge and sit and eat with people and without, any issues and and knowing that everything's okay because I everything was traumatic for me at that time right mm. and just my mind made everything into this big trauma and it was a it was a big deal to take each one of those steps I mean I had three alarm clocks because I was so worried that I wasn't going to wake up to the alarm clock because I hadn't woken up to one in two and a half years mm. um and 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 had counseling for that too yeah it's interesting because the the fact that most parents have healthy kids, I think is totally um, underappreciated. Just mm-hmm. as you said, you know, I hadn't even been out to a restaurant. I hadn't, you know, all these things that were not normal that you had an opportunity to, to reflect upon later and be grateful for, um, you know, with Alex being special needs, he started having seizures at a, a year old. And so same thing, you know, we w- we didn't go out a lot to restaurants because, We'd be sitting having dinner and before, the, you know, we'd order our meal before it came. You know, we had an ambulance there yeah. <laughs> because at that time we didn't know how long his seizures were going to last, whether they were going to stop by themselves or not. Other people in the restaurant freaked out. You know, they all wanted to come over and help. And it's like, no, you need to back off. We know what we need to do. Um, stop panicking because you're making it worse. And then the whole restaurant was disrupted. I mean, it just wasn't fun <laughs> to go yeah. out and have supper. Um, and when you have a special needs child, you really learn very quickly what it is that you can be grateful for. And you know Alex's story about you know what he's gone to do. I'll share that a bit later um, in life. There's beautiful gifts in it. But I think 
regular kids, um, the parents sometimes don't always appreciate what beautiful luxury that is to not have a child who is having a seizure, for example. Mm-hmm. I think I think in general, as humans in general, um, we don't tend to have gratitude for the small little things. And that's one thing that I um, have my clients practice is gratitude every day. And my kids and I practice that every day. Yep. Um, and, and that was one of the things that got me through in right. my recovery was practicing gratitude. I mean, I would I would sit at the dinner table and say, I got here to the dinner table or I had a shower today or I brushed my teeth today because that was huge for me in my life. Right. At that time, there were days where I just was in bed, the weeks that I was in bed, days that I didn't shower, days that I didn't brush my teeth, days that I didn't make it to the dinner table to eat with everyone. Mm. And so I was appreciating all of those little things, all, uh, you know, appreciating that I made it the whole day without having an accident. Mm. Um, you know, um, I'll tell you, it was a two and a half year journey, but I, I carried a a cleanup, an emergency cleanup kit with me for probably about four or five years. We still have a spare pair of everything in Alex's bag. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the turning point? And then what happened that you were able to become such a different person than who you are today? Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely the turning. So I had a few things happen in there, but definitely the turning point was actually going back to work and, and knowing the feeling of being completely stress-free. I mean, I had done a lot of self-care for that two and a half years. I had, um, you know, I had a, a workout regime. I had figured out what I could eat and, and was actively trying to get healthier and get more nu- nutrition in. Um, I was very active in my children's lives at that point. Um, I had been volunteering at my son's school. He had started school in amongst that. And I was just completely stress-free. Uh, I was probably the best parent I've ever been at that time in my life um, because I wasn't having to juggle a lot, really. I was just parenting and, and taking care of myself. And when I went back to work and, and got through all of that, um, that CBT at the time, getting back to work and, and got into a groove, um, I really noticed within a couple months, I was starting to get stressed out again at work. And mm-hmm. I loved my job. I, I loved what I was doing, but it was a very stressful environment in that we had a lot of deadlines that were quick you know, something would come to us and it's like, okay, I needed this yesterday or this needs to be done in an hour or it needs to be done before you leave. And I would be trying to get out of work at a certain time to go and pick up my kids from daycare. Right. And you can't be late because you get charged extra. And so that like at the end, that was causing stress for me at the end of the day. I'm this new mom and, you know, I'm having to pick up from, from school daycare and, and regular daycare. And, you know, if I've got this deadline and I'm trying to get out the door, I just remember just being completely stressed out again within two months. And I thought to myself, I have to do something different. I have to, um, I have to create the life that I was living and, and was enjoying. And I need to create that um, while I'm doing something that means something that, that has um, to be a that, better way. <laughs> yeah. There, that, that, that is doing something because at the same time I was feeling stressed out in what I was doing, but I also was feeling like I wasn't making a contribution to humanity. Mm-hmm. I knew what I went through. And um, by the time my son was in grade one, he started to have anxiety and have panic attacks. And I was helping him through my experience. I was helping him through his anxiety and his panic attacks. And it was because I had successfully got through all of that, that I knew how to help him. And knew what it felt like because nobody else around him knew what it felt like. Nobody could even understand or see that he was having it. I could, I one look at him and I could see where his eyes were or that he was lost or he was in thought somewhere. And I knew he was having it then and there. Right. And so I could relate to it where no one else could relate to it. And so having been through that with him, I really thought I need to be making a difference somewhere else. I'm not making a big enough difference in the job that I'm in. And so um, at that time, because I had been um, um, volunteering in my son's school, I had helped him through the anxiety. I was loving working with the kids. And at that time, I was about 15 or 16 years into practicing yoga with the same instructor. 
And um, so that's when I decided to uh, get my um, teacher certification and open a children's yoga business because it was my uh, it was my thought process that it's better to um, to teach kids now rather than fix broken adults later. I was teaching my son, right? I was teaching my son all of these strategies. And I mean, to this day, the kid is like, he's, he hasn't had an anxiety attack in a long time, but he's like right on. And he knows what works for him and what strategies he needs. He would, he would know to ask for quiet if he needed quiet or, and he knew how to express it to other people. And, and he knew what worked for him. And I knew how broken I was with it and how long it took me to get through it. And I thought, okay, if we can teach these strategies to kids now in a fun way, yeah then they'll take these strategies through their whole lives instead of fixing us adults once we're already broken. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I started breathe with me yoga and I started teaching children's yoga and I got about, uh, well, I got one year in when I suffered a concussion, a massive concussion and was off work for another year and a half with that concussion. And, um, at that time there was no way I was going to let that business go under. I believed so strongly in it. Um, so at that time I hired other teachers to keep the classes going and, um, and we got through all of that and we got to a place where class sizes grew so big that I didn't have the one-on-one connection that I had with the kids when, when we were just starting out and when we had small class sizes and, um, I was making such a difference in the lives of the kids. I mean, we had this connection and they were opening up to me in the middle of class. We, when, when we were doing our breathing techniques, we were having a sharing time. They were sharing with me. I had a few kids who would ask me to bring their parents in to help them have conversations mm-hmm. with their parents about bullying and things like that. And, and when class sizes got bigger, it, um, it got more like a classroom you know what I mean? More like a school classroom. And, and I was losing that one-on-one connection. And that's when I opened Rise to Wellness and certified as a master coach practitioner and started coaching children and their families. Um, because I missed that connection and that difference that I was making when I had that one-on-one connection with the kids. Right. Um, so it didn't mean that the yoga wasn't important. The yoga classrooms were still important. We were doing important things and we're still doing all of the breathing and the poses and the relaxation and the mindfulness in our classes. But, but by opening the coaching program, it took it that one step further to be able to um, work one-on-one with families and really make a difference inside their whole household. Um, because what I also find, I mean, I had eight-year-old kids coming to me and telling me they were stressed out at school. And that just breaks my heart that an eight-year-old is stressed out. Why? I don't understand why, right? Why is an eight-year-old having anxiety? Why is an eight-year-old stressed out? Um, why are these kids being bullied and they're not talking to their, to their parents about it? They're not telling anybody that they're being bullied. And what I was starting to also see is that the kid with anxiety had parents who had anxiety and the kid who was stressed out had parents who were stressed out. Yeah. And, and so that coaching allowed me to help them all together as a family. Yeah. Because it, because it was happening together. I mean, kids really, they, they emulate what they're living in and they see it and they learn it. And um, I'm not saying that anxiety is genetic. I don't believe that. Um, But if my child is having anxiety and I'm, I coincidentally have having anxiety too, and I haven't dealt with it and I don't know how to deal with it. How am I going to help my child deal with it? We're both going to be struggling. Yeah. Well, you saw that with your own son, right? Yeah. That he may have been exposed to that environment and picked up, you know, and picked that up, right? And it's so important because when kids go off to school and they learn different things, if the parents have not been included or aren't on board with the curriculum, then they're teaching, you know, they're talking about opposite approaches when they get mm-hmm. home, the, the, the child ends up totally confused as to which is the which is the right way to do it. And they always want to please their parents and it just becomes a big mess. So yeah, I'm so glad you're doing this powerful work. So the the um, the storytime yoga piece um, was a, an evolution then, so it that was. you could expand and still do the yoga work on mats with larger groups. Is that? No, how Storytime Yoga came about was with the beginning of the pandemic. So we were running, um, I still, I've had teachers before the pandemic hit, I had uh, three teachers still working with me and, and um, I was contracting out to a local community center. And then I was renting space here locally in Niagara Falls uh, to run classes. And um, 
the pandemic hit and um, those seven to 11 classes that we were running a week all stopped. Right. And at the time we all thought, oh, this is just going to be two or three weeks. Right. And it's going to be <laughs> over. Um, <laughs> we, we all, we can all laugh at that now. Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to run classes just to get us through. I'm going to run them on social media. And my daughter was actually really sick for the first three months. And um, I, I'm separated. I'm divorced now. So um, because she was so sick, my kids both had to stay with me and we were in full isolation for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and it was supposed to be until she got better, but that ended up being three months. And so I was still working from home. I had one sick, I had one in online learning. And at that time, online learning wasn't set up. We were all thrown into it, teachers and students and parents. And so I was helping my anxious child navigate the online learning, which was not going well, mental health wise for him. Um, and, and then the other one was sick. And I thought, okay, how am I going to do this in a way that I'm not spending tons of time lesson planning at the same time? Because I do, I mean, in order to make it fun for the kids, I have stories and I lesson plan and, and the whole thing. So I thought, okay, I'm going to pick up a storybook. We're going to do our breathing that we always do in class. And we're going to keep our relaxation that we always do in class, because those are the two most important parts, not the, not the poses like everybody thinks, but the breathing and that relaxation, those are the two most important parts of our class. So we're going to keep those elements. It's just going to be a half hour class instead of an hour long. And I'll pick up a storybook and I'll just find the yoga poses in the storybook. That'll be easy for me. I can go through beforehand and kind of jot out the poses and, you know, know where I'm headed. And it went over so well um that from uh march to november of last year we did 100 episodes on social media it went to facebook it went to my youtube channel and it went to instagram and um we did all of those live we did them free um and the last three classes we did as interactive zoom classes and right at the beginning I chose the title storytime yoga because i was picking up a storybook and i thought that was catchy and my marketing guy said to me I love the concept. I love the title. You know, we got about a couple of weeks in and he said, you need to trademark this. This is going somewhere. You need to trademark this. So we did. And and we now, I, I now own the trademark um, for Storytime Yoga. And um, so those last three of the hundred classes, we tried it as an interactive Zoom class and it was so incredible. It went over so well. Um, the kids were so involved and, you know, so excited to be there. Um, that I, you know, that went to about mid-November and I took December off and thought, how am I going to move forward with this um, so that I can still serve the community, but still be a business, right? This is a business. And and um, so that's when I had kind of hooked up with Clarissa and we, and we had started our mastermind together. And um, that's when the idea came to, you know, make it into a TV show and have mm-hmm. it be on Clarissa's In the Limelight channel. Mm-hmm. And it also became an author program at that point. So um, authors actually come into the program and have their books visualized um, through yoga, have the kids connect with their books through yoga. And it becomes a marketing tool and a piece that the authors can use to have children connect with their books and introduce their books to children and have them really not just connect with the book itself and the illustrations and the story, but connect with the message. I really bring the message, like when we lay down in the relaxation, we have I am affirmations and we always affirm whatever lesson we've learned in the storybook. And and we keep that, we know that we have choices and we keep the idea that we have those choices inside our head and we keep the actual lesson of the choice inside our heart. So if it's kindness, we affirm I am kind and, and we talk about how we have a choice to be kind or not. And we talk about how good it feels when we are kind and we and we do something kind for someone and we keep that goodness and that good feeling inside our hearts. And I do that with every book in, in every class. So it really kind of it, it morphed over the last year into an incredible, incredible program in class. And, and I teach that program now in libraries and schools in, in the area. Excellent. And you also landed on um, Wake Up With Giants. And what was the connection that started yeah. that? Because that is the, the Giants and the Smalls is such a lovely book. How did that evolve? It is. And, and that evolved through Storytime Yoga, actually. So um, it was uh near the beginning of the pandemic I actually reached out to the author Nick Smith 
um, of the giants and the smalls thinking that I wanted to read his book on storytime yoga. And I was reaching out to authors. I was just, it wasn't an author program at that point. I was just reaching out to get permission to read um, authors books um, on the episodes. And I reached out to Nick and, and in our conversation discovered that it was a pretty lengthy book. It was written for people of all ages. Uh, it was pretty lengthy. And, and at that time, I didn't know how I was going to introduce his book in one half an hour program. It was going to be difficult. And he was already promoting his book with his partner, his business partner, Ryan Morris. And um, they invited me to come on to Wake Up With Giants TV which is a platform where they inter they interview people um, and much like this platform, but they inter interview people and, and talk about their greatness and how they've become giants and, and what they're doing in their lives to be giant and, and how they've recognized their own greatness and how we can help other people to recognize their greatness. Mm. And so I went on Thank that you show. Thank invite to be on that show, by the way. I yeah. really enjoyed my conversation with Nick. It was, it was very insightful. Yeah, you were on the show. It was great to have you on. And, uh, and I co hosted that show, the, the show that you were on. Um, it was incredible to have you there. And um, so I went on the show. And I said to the both of them, I really love their energy. And I said to the both of them, when the show was over, if you're doing anything, um, if you're doing anything further, if you're looking to expand, please reach out to me and include me, I would love to be working. I love your message. I love the message in the book. I love your energy. And I'd love to be working with you. And uh, they reached out a couple of weeks later and were forming a partnership where they were forming a business called the League of Giants. And so I am now um, one of nine members of the League of Giants, and we've expanded tremendously from the Wake Up With Giants TV program. We now have Wake Up With Giants Radio, which is on Cat Country Radio. Um, that can you can listen to that at the Don Studios.com. It's every Sunday night at one or Sunday afternoon, sorry, at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And that's a talk show format. So we have guest co-hosts that come on and we and we choose topics and, and we have an hour of um you know talking and and um giving clarity to to different topics. Um and and amongst that, we've created a, a school program for teachers and for students. Um, to help them reach their giant potential. And, and we're in the process of um, giving that training to teachers and to students and, and going out and doing talks. And, and The Giants and the Smalls is the book that I did that three-part Zoom series in, in my last 100 episodes there. I did that, that book um, with, with Storytime Yoga over a three-part series. And so now I teach that three-part series at, um, at local libraries and, and schools and over Zoom. It doesn't have to be local. It can it can be far away too, but I teach that series through Storytime Yoga now as well. Lovely. So, what was your international best-selling book? What's that called? Yeah, that book is called um, um, Magnetic Entrepreneur: Our Vision, Volume One. And um, it's funny. I have three books. Two of them are with the Magnetic Entrepreneur, and they're all co-authorships. And um, two of them became uh, international bestsellers. Um, the first book was um, Magnetic Entrepreneur, Our Vision. And that was largely about a chapter about my vision as an entrepreneur. And um, I had won the opportunity at, um, at a big gala that uh, Robert J. Moore, who's the owner of the Magnetic Entrepreneur, was putting on. Um, I won the opportunity to be a part of that publication. It's an incredible publication. And, um, and I published with him again, um, probably about a year later, um, during a Guinness World Record attempt. And, um, and we got the Guinness World Record. Uh, there was, I believe, 127 of us. And we um, won the Guinness World Record for the most authors signing the same book in the same place. And so we were all published in that book. Yeah, we were all published in that book. And, uh, and the book became an international bestseller. And, um, and we won the Guinness World Record with it. And uh, yeah, all, all it was incredible. Is important. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. And then my second co-authorship um, is uh, Adversity to Adaptability. And that was written with the Certified Coaches Federation. And it was a bunch of us coaches um, that were um, received our certification through the Certified Coaches Federation um, that came together and wrote on our different topics. And so I um, wrote about my postpartum depression and, and the experience that I had. And, and there's, um, there's some strategies and, and some coaching at the end of my chapter as well um, around mindset work and, and, and coming through all of that. And, and um, it talks about a lot of the strategies that I walk my, my clients through. Yeah. 
it's it's so um it's so interesting how these stories evolve and flow and when we're not trying to force something and the universe says hey you know I, you didn't go through all that pain for nothing here's mm -hmm. the gift that's coming out of it and here's what you're meant to do with that gift your purpose is this um your um if <laughs> your your um I can't remember what my friend, uh, one of my friends calls it, but it's, it's like a divine gift. Um, for me, um, you know, anyone who hasn't sort of heard my story, the reason I have my, my book behind me here, if you're watching this video version, as well as listening to the radio show, um, Words, Women and Wisdom, The Modern Art of Confident Conversations, was actually born out of, first of all, a love of language. Um, but secondly, watching my mom, who was a, what I call my first unmentor, because she taught me what not to do as a female in business um literally watched her have the dignity drained out drained right out of her by my dad who was postpartum um in a post um <clears throat> traumatic uh, stress syndrome coming back from the war with ptsd didn't get treated and he literally drained the dignity right out of her and made her by his anger so shy and meek that i thought well you know if i'm i love to, to write. I love language. I love the power of language. I've interviewed and heard about 6,000 people in my career. I've learned a ton about questions. So when I did my certified executive coach uh, designation, language is such an important part in coaching and paying attention to what people are saying, as well as how you phrase your questions to get the best outcome mm -hmm. of them coming to their own best decision. Um, so the, the book was born out of that. And that is actually my free gift. That's what I'm going to be offering. Um, so if you're listening to this, uh, jot down my website, Words, Women, and Wisdom, and it's actually spelled A-N-D, wordswomenandwisdom.com. Click on the red button on the left where you can download free at this point, chapter eight of the book, which is actually not even about the words in the book. It's about um, how you show up and when, when no words are even required. So it's about energetic presence, how you dress, how you command the room, etc. Super powerful. So pick up your own copy um, if you like, but certainly read chapter eight. Any woman can benefit by the tips and uh, actions that are in the book for that. And it just came out on audiobook as well. So there's more info on my website, wordswomenandwisdom.com about how to do that. So with your, um, with your beautiful gifts that you're sharing with the world in your work, I love there was some excellent entrepreneur, female entrepreneur lessons coming out of that, of you know, leveraging what you know that you've been through, deeply understanding how that can help others when you've been through it yourself and you can pull people along the journey with you. Same thing I've done, you know, part of it is resilience and part of it is using powerful language to ask for what you want in life and, and receive it. Um, and then the other piece is about your gift. So tell, tell me about the gift that you brought. Yeah, so I, um, um, I'm offering three free um, wellness videos. They're, they're, they've got different topics to them. And they're about depression and anxiety, about how to notice that in your children, about how to help your children through that. And um, in order to download those three free videos, it, you can go to freegiftfrommelissa.com. Melissa is one L, two S's. And um, when you go to that website, it will ask you to put in your email address there and it will give you access to download those three free videos. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that gift. And for others that want to keep in touch, they're excited. Maybe they want to um, join in with Storytime Yoga? Where do they go overall in general to keep up with what you're up to and learn more about your work? Yeah, you know, I like to send people to my Linktree link because there's so many different places. So I don't, if you're not familiar with Linktree, it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E. And then it'll be slash Melissa Ross. And if you go to that link, you'll see every the you'll see um, buttons that will take you everywhere. They'll take you to my Facebook page. They'll take you to Storytime Yoga. Um, they'll take you to book a discovery call with me. Anything that uh, that you might want to do with me, the links are there on Linktree there. Um, to even to, to go to my YouTube channel and watch Storytime Yoga, the link will be there um, okay. on Linktree slash Melissa Ross. 
Tree slash Melissa Russ. Excellent. Well, this has been fascinating. And I tell you, I am so glad that humanity has the gift of you coming out the other side of this traumatic time. And I mean, who knew that, you know, getting getting pregnant and building and starting your family could have such a complicated story. And yet what the, you know, what the beautiful gifts are at the end of this, now you're out in the world helping teachers to have different programming than the traditional mm -hmm. to through your story time yoga to bring the the healthiest way for kids to learn and grow up and learn about themselves you know stepping into powerful i am statements using powerful breathing techniques really understanding what their body is telling them and even just learning to relax i mean what a gift mm -hmm. that is to give for the kids and also for the parents who haven't yet still sorted out some of those things in life that they can also take take away a big gift and then also be supporters for their kids as well that's magical i'm so thrilled you're doing this work any last lessons that you want to share with the audience in our last couple of minutes yeah thank you very much um yeah um goodness last lessons you know i just want to um I want to talk about that word perfectionism that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, when we have gratitude, we're, we're having, we're being in a place of um, understanding what's around us, accepting what's around us and being grateful for whatever it is around us. And one of those key things that I learned during my recovery was to let go of what perfect was in my mind, what I thought perfect was, what I thought it had to look like and what I thought I needed to be and just embrace what was there and embrace um, um, how everything was happening. And if I was struggling with parts of it, figure out how, what strategies might work, help to work, uh, to help me work through it, help me work through what I was struggling with. So I, I mm. encourage all of you, everyone listening to have that gratitude, to let go of perfectionism let go of what you think has to be perfect or what you think it has to look like and embrace it embrace everything around you the way it is and find the strategies that help you cope with the things that you need to change or you feel that need to change yeah um, so important for every woman in particular to have your own definition of what success looks like for yeah. you part of the work that I do in my coaching with uh, helping women to flourish in business so we're at our end of time. It's been delightful um, to hear what you're up to now as a result of going through that, that trauma. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. And I look forward to staying in touch. Uh, please do keep in touch. Download Melissa's gift. Download my gift. And I look forward to seeing you on the next Words, Women and Wisdom show. Bye for now, everybody. Ladies, a new book is on the horizon. Words, Women and Wisdom, The Modern Art of Confident Conversations. This new book is for women ready to rediscover their inner confidence, take a stand for themselves in life and business by using more powerful language. Words are so powerful and already changed history. On October 5th, the New York Times published a story detailing decades of allegations of sexual harassment against film producer Harvey Weinstein. And numerous women in the entertainment industry found the courage to go public, banding together with a powerful voice that change is long overdue. Even Oprah Winfrey, television network icon, gave a rousing speech at the Golden Globe Awards in January. The media has showcased the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. The Me Too movement is flourishing and all signaling it's time for women's equality and change. I believe it's time to give women the verbal agility to create more confident conversations. Words, Women and Wisdom, The Modern Art of Confident Conversations is the book which provides practical approaches for women to ask for what we really want and receive our request. Hello, I'm Yvonne Silver, Certified Executive Coach and Senior HR Professional, seasoned in business.
I teach women to flourish in business by using more confident language to help empower and engage others. This book is the result of over 35 years of my career, professional career, working in four different countries. I've interviewed over 6,000 people in my career for job interviews, executive coaching, for sales and consulting conversations. And I've listened to hundreds of women in particular who are looking for a better way to collaborate. They're looking to be uh, asking for what they really want and heard and validated, especially in business. And women often earn less than men for doing exactly the same job. It's 2018. It's time for change. The modern art of confident conversations explores words we use at home, at work. Words that trip us up, elevate us and encourage us. And when no words are even required. It is about how to leverage the power of words in a positive, in a collaborative and impactful way. Now I work with women entrepreneurs and leaders who are empowering other women and leading through mentorship programs and my coaching, public speaking, interviews and writing. I'm passionate about women's equality. Why? I grew up in England in a house with a flow of negative comments from my father which destroyed my mum's dignity until she became an empty shell of the vibrant woman she'd once been, belittled by constant criticism and questioning of her abilities. Through my own life journey and supporting hundreds of female clients, I've discovered critical words to ask to get what we really want collaboratively. I know there are critical links between our language, our behavior, our mindset and our success in life. Words from a song can replay in our head for hours and poetry can bring a lump in our throats. I've combined my insights with interviews from influential women, sharing their pearls of wisdom, supplemented with research and reference studies from established scholars. Women are rising up. It's time for women to be heard. Let's use more powerful, positive language and join the rising tide of change. This book is for you, a woman looking to the future ready to embrace significant positive changes in your life by using more confident language. Eliminate those words that drain your power, add words that energize and invigorate and shift from ordinary to extraordinary. Just one word can change your life. I believe every woman needs their own copy of this powerful book. It's time for action and time for change. Order and reserve your own copy of Words, Women and Wisdom today.